This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Today we'll be discussing my opinion of pines as desert landscape trees, small droplets of water it looks like on grapevines, transplanting choyas and wildflowers, cactus gardens that I have to protect from the sun every year, and growing a contorted jujube. This and more on today's Desert Horticulture. Learn more about desert horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite. I don't like opinion questions very much, but what is your opinion of pines as landscape trees in our desert climate? We've got quite a few planted in our complex, and our HOA is discussing whether we should get rid of them or not because of their liability and their water use. Our landscaper tells us they have borers. Well, first of all, I'm a little suspicious about borers in pine trees. Uh, we don't typically see a lot of the typical borers that we get in landscape trees in pines. And that's because, I believe, because of uh, a lot of the sap that it produces when they're injured. And when these insects start to attack, um, attack the uh, inside of the tree, they're engulfed in this, uh, in this amber, in this, in this uh, resin that the, that the pine exudes. So I'd uh, double check on that and make sure it is, a, it is borers that are the problems uh, that your landscapers suggested. On pine trees themselves, uh, you know, <clears throat> they're, they're uh, a moderately, they're moderate in their water use. They're not high and they're not low. They're somewhere in between. And if I were to guess, uh, they're going to be somewhere probably a little less than uh, fruit trees of a comparable size. Um, but the nice thing about pine trees is also, as they get larger, you can play around a little bit with the, the water and the thinning of the canopy. When you irrigate pine trees and they're not getting enough water, the canopy begins to thin out. You can see more light through the canopy. And that's because we don't get a lot of new spring growth. Uh, there's not a lot of needles that are produced. So the needles are kept anywhere from three to five years before they're, they drop off the tree and they're, they're dropping in the landscape. So every year they've got to grow a little bit and it's nice to have growth on larger pine trees of uh, six or eight inches of new growth every year so that you can maintain a somewhat dense canopy. I wouldn't say that you need a, a real dense canopy but it would be nice to have a moderately dense canopy with it. If there's excessive growth because of excessive water and uh, lots of nitrogen fertilizers applied, then it's possible to, to put on a lot of new growth. But uh, pine trees are not typically desert trees, but they do act a little bit like desert trees in that they'll begin to drop their needles, they'll drop their their needles are their leaves. They'll drop their knees, needles. They'll begin to thin out in their canopy, and they'll hang in there without much water. When you do irrigate pine trees, it's important to give them a lot of water when you do irrigate them, and then you can hold off. 
And you can look at the density of the canopy and make a decision about whether you need to increase the frequency of the application, not the amount, but how often it's being applied, whether the soil is getting a little bit too dry between irrigations or not, um, or whether you want to maintain uh, a thick canopy. The, what I don't like about pine trees, for the most part, most of the landscape pine trees that we're using are really huge. And when they get 60 feet tall, there's really no point in having them in a residential landscape. We should pro I probably should have mentioned that right off the bat. If we're going to use pine trees or something that looks like a pine tree, has the character of a pine tree, then we're going to look for something that is smaller in size. There are some smaller pine trees, but they're not terribly popular. The Italian stone pine doesn't get terribly big, although, and it's a slow grower. So it, uh, it can stay fairly small, but the one I really like a lot and that we see in our desert climate in the west is the pinyon pine. And Nevada is kind of characteristic in that there's, we talk about the single leaf pinyon where there's only one needle, but actually Nevada has a pinyon pine that has two needles on it as well. But regardless of the pinyon itself, it doesn't get very big. And it's really a good landscape pine tree for residential landscapes. You can give it more water, fill out its density more, uh, not give it too often or it can begin to suffer. Uh, but you can give it uh, water a little bit more often to increase the density. You know, when the density is determined in pine trees early in the spring, that's when the new shoot growth occurs. We don't... Uh, that's when the canopy begins to determine when it's going to be dense or not. If you don't give it a lot of water prior to that in the previous year, it's not going to put on a lot of new growth. So I guess what I'm telling you is that when you're watering pine trees, it's important to think a year in advance. If you want it to be more lush, give it more water so that it will set up more buds for the next year and increase its growth and increase its density the following year. It's not really like a lot of our trees now where you can, especially desert trees, where you can almost, you can, you can add more water to them and increase the, the canopy. I'm thinking like in my place, I've got sweet acacia. The sweet acacia, if I see the canopy starting to thin out a little bit in the summer months, I'll go ahead and put a sprinkler. I'll leave the drip irrigation alone, but I'll put a sprinkler on it and set it for an hour or two and just give it once a month, give it a deep watering. And in about a week or 10 days, I'll start to see it start to fill out because it's desert trees like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the acacias, a lot of the mesquites, um, Palo Verde, a lot of those trees will respond to water. And if you give them more water, that's frequency, not the volume. If you give it more often, they'll increase in density. If you give it less often, they'll start dropping leaves and decrease their density. So they respond very, very nicely to irrigations and to rainfall. So if we're talking about pine trees in desert landscapes, I don't like them 
um, residential landscapes just simply because they're too large. If you're going to focus on pine trees in residential landscapes, then, then look at that pinyon pine uh, or look at some alternatives. Uh, the Utah juniper, for instance, some of the upright junipers. Um, another one that's abused in the landscape but's used too much is, in my opinion, is, uh, is the uh, Italian cypress. And, you know, they look cute when they're small, but those things get big, get big. they get huge, and they start to flop and all sorts of things. And I, I just don't think they're a very good choice for a residential landscape. But anyway, that's my feeling on pines. There are parts in the valley where their water is coming up, subsurface water is coming up to the surface. And in places like that, uh, in the central part of the valley, drawing a line from the Spring Mountain Range in the northwest, drawing a line to Lake Mead through the wash, in that particular area, there are pockets where that water gets fairly close to the surface. And uh, you can take advantage of that and put in some larger trees, take advantage of that deep water. But other than that, I, I just generally would stay away from. If you've got a single-story home, then you should be looking at trees no more than 20, 25 feet tall. If you've got a two-story home, then about 40 foot is about all that you want in that landscape. You don't want anything bigger than that. So generally speaking, I don't really like pine trees that much in uh, desert residential desert landscapes uh, for that reason. Second question, early in the growing season, I saw small clusters of clear droplets on my grapevines. Would you happen to know what is the source of these drops? I have had leafhopper issues in the past, and I was concerned they might be insect eggs. Well, they're not. Uh, most likely what you're seeing in the spring of the year is uh, something that's pushed up to the surface through the leaves, uh, through specialized glands in the leaves called hydathodes. We see that a lot in grasses too, where water is actually pushed out through the leaves. There's a lot of mo moisture in the soil. It's warm. It's a little bit humid outside. And those roots of those plants start to, to take in that water and push it up into the grapevines. And that water starts to come out of the leaves. It's not on all the leaves, uh, not on all the grapes, but you'll see them on some of the grapes like Niagara, uh, Thompson Seedless, uh, some of the others. And we call those grape pearls or sap balls. And they're not at all related to insects. So don't get wild and crazy and think you've got to spray something. Do You don't. These are, you know what? Years ago, the um, golf course superintendents used to go out with a long bamboo rod. And in the greens, they used to do what was called uh, whipping the greens early in the morning because... Uh, the 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 water would be pushed out of the leaves themselves through these hydathodes and uh, would accumulate on the surface of the leaves and and if you have warm weather or it could be cool weather too you could have a, a disease problem occurring so the superintendents would send somebody out with a long a long pole a bamboo pole they use other poles now they still whip the greens they'll syringe the greens now just knocking the water off because that water is filled with nutrients. It's coming from inside the plant. It's filled with nutrients. It's a perfect, if it sits for too long, it's a perfect place for diseases to occur. And I would say the same thing too. If you've got these uh, little water balls uh, accumulating uh, 
on the leaves of your grapes, then knock them off. Shake them or knock them off so that uh, they drop to the ground. But don't be concerned, especially about leaf hoppers uh, on the grape vines. Uh, leaf hoppers are on the undersides of the leaves, and you'll see them when they're starting to hatch. You should be going out to your grape anyway in about, in our climate, uh, around March, April, and checking the bot not March, about April, May, and checking the bottoms of the leaves and looking for uh, leaf hoppers to the juveniles starting to develop and get a spray on it, spinosad or something that will control them, uh, directed on the underside of the leaves to control them. But this is not that problem. This is a water issue. It is uh, grape pearls, as they call it, or sap balls. So don't worry about it as far as an insect problem. But do be concerned about the transmission of disease. Knock them off. Get rid of them. Is it possible to transplant choyas and wildflowers? I live in a subdivision that will be excavating these beautiful plants to pave streets, so I was wondering if it's possible to transplant them and if they will survive after transplanting. Uh, yeah, it is possible. <clears throat> and uh, the smaller the plants that you rescue uh, from this, the, the better chance you're going to have of survival. And uh, when you do take them out of the ground, take as much of the root system as possible. But please keep in mind that these desert plants have sent their roots out long, long ways to, in order to get water. So the, the ratio of the, the size of the roots, how far they're spreading from the plant, and the, and the size of the plant itself, it's uh, very high. It's going to be like, for, for trees, we figure that roots will, for trees in, under rain-fed conditions, we figure that their roots are maybe two to three times the height of the tree under natural rainfall conditions, not under drip irrigation. So in the, in the wild, in the desert, you can probably figure that is going to be closer to eight to one, uh, a distance of eight times the height of that plant. So you really have to take a lot. And keep in mind, too, that these roots are fairly close to the surface. These uh, desert choyas and whatnot don't have deep roots, typically don't have deep roots if they're growing out in the open. It's not true of some of the trees, other trees that we might talk about, like mesquite. But uh, when we're talking about choyas and those things that are growing in the open desert and the wildflowers, wildflowers, no, you're not permitted to take that. You can collect the seed. I've got a formula for you on how to get wildflowers started, but one of the big problems with wildflowers is just watering it too often and encouraging Bermuda grass development. But anyway, collect the seed from wildflowers, let them go to flower, collect those seed, and you can start your own wildflower growing area and any of the desert plants as well. And also I recommend that you get a hold of, um, of a company that is familiar with desert plants and, and how to transplant them if you want to go in that direction. Uh, there's a local landscape comp company called Trident Landscape Management, and uh, the owner is uh, Pete Duncombe, uh, who is retired from the Las Vegas, as a horticulturist from the Las Vegas Springs Preserve, and he has a lot of experience uh, with desert plants, and he'd be an excellent choice if you want to get somebody to come in and rescue them and set up a nursery for you. Just keep in mind that uh, 
you know, some of the some of these cacti and succulents are extremely hard to transplant. So, in some cases, expect uh, the possibility you could have a high percentage of loss of these uh, plants. But in other words, it's it's still worth it. I mean, it's still worth if you've got permission to do it, if you've got the permits for doing it, going out and collecting these plants, putting them in a nursery, keeping them, and then using them in the landscape. A wonderful idea. Just don't overwater them. Water them solidly when they go into the ground, really settle the soil, get all the air bubbles out of the soil, and then hold off on your watering, just like a rainfall. And don't water again for a while until until these roots start to start to uh, get established in the surrounding soil. And remember, on desert plants too, they do respond better. They can they can handle soils with a low organic content, not much compost in it, for instance. But if you're going to plant these, I would do two things in the landscape. I w I would dig an area that's quite wide, not necessarily deep, but quite wide. Put a little bit of compost in it, like 10, 15, 20%, no, not even 20%, 10, 15%, mix it in that soil, and then water it in, and let those roots stake that plant. Uh, drive a stake right next to it, and keep it from moving the first couple of years while it's getting established. Don't let it blow around, don't let it move around. Keep it solid and, and rigid in that soil so it doesn't move. Then after it has established itself, now keeping in mind you're, you're really, the soil moisture is really pretty dry in, in these soils before you're irrigating again. Remember you're, you're irrigating it to get the air pockets out in the beginning the first few days. Then don't do it anymore or you're going to rot the roots and you're going to kill them. So just hold off on those let them go ahead and get settled in, stabilize them, keep them from moving around, let them get stable, add a little bit of organics to that soil so that they have something to to feed on and get established. Desert plants, they do like compost and they go nuts as long as they've got drainage. They'll go nuts with compost, but they can handle, they can tolerate these very poor desert soils. So anyway, that's... Uh, my best advice to you, either do it yourself using some of those techniques or hire a company that knows how to, how to do it. Question, I have a cactus garden that faces west. Every summer I hang sheets on a clothesline in front of the cactus because it always looks like they are starting to burn up from the direct sun and heat. If I don't protect the cactus this year, will they die? I'm guessing you're uh, sick and tired of hanging sheets up in front of and protecting them. You know, the cacti are just as varied in their in where they like to live as other plants. Just I would avoid the the temptation to classify them all as cacti as one big huge group called cacti. No. It depends where they come from. If these are, if these are cacti that originate from the desert southwest, and there's plenty to pick from, by the way, instead of having to go to South America or South Africa and find cacti, Australia uh, to find cac cacti on it, 
just stay with the desert southwest and they'll they'll handle the heat they'll handle everything just fine just amend that soil put your favorite amend amendment in it if you like pumice put pumice in it but keep that soil open towards the surface don't water it too often uh, i would probably look in the summer months if you want to put on some growth on these cacti water them about every three weeks if you don't want to put on some growth then don't water them for a month and a half, six weeks or more. You know, if you look at a cactus, it'll tell you if it needs water or not, if you haven't killed it by watering it too often. Because the, the cactus is, holds water in its body. And when there's water present, it pumps water up into its body, it swells up. And then as it uses this water, it gets smaller. You can see this especially on those beaver tail cacti, those apuntias, where they'll start to, when the water's running out, the, the pads will start to shrivel. And that'll be your clue that it's time to give it more water. Just use the, the, the cacti themselves as a guide about when they need water. If you go ahead and collect cacti from unusual places and you put them into a mixed cacti um, garden, cactus garden, cacti garden, uh, expect that some of these will do well and some of them won't. It's really going to be, you're going to be much better off if you stick with cacti from the desert southwest and uh, put them in groupings together in there rather than trying to get some of the more exotic things from places because some of these cacti come from high elevations, they come from moderately high rainfall areas, and they're not going to be suitable for uh, the Mojave Desert, which is hot and dry. Uh, so stay with the Desert Southwest cacti if you're going to use them, and use, there's plenty to pick from. Okay, uh, I have a contorted jujube, which is partially self-fruitful. I acquired a Lang jujube, which needs a pollenizer tree. I don't really have space to plant the pollenizer tree close to it. What's the maximum distance I can plant a pollenizer tree from the tree that needs the pollen from it, from the other one? Well, <clears throat> jujube does really well in our climate. It does well in most climates. It's It almost grows like a weed. And it, <laughs> it's... I don't know. It, if you like the fruit, I guess, uh, it does. It can be very expensive. There is a specialist in town who wrote a book on jujube here, uh, and uh, Rafael Evangelista. You can buy his book on Amazon, and he did a great job in talking about uh, the jujube, and he has a real passion for jujube. He grafts them in, in, at his home, and and uh, grafts the tree onto rootstocks and does a whole host of things. But, but if you want a pollenizer tree, there's the old saying about, you know, you want, you want it in a beeline. You want to put the pollenizer tree in a beeline from the other one. So if you have a tree that's around the corner uh, from the tree that needs its pollen, that can be a problem. But if you have a tree that's within, let's say, 150 feet, but it's in a direct line, 
and bees can see from one plant to another and they can travel from one plant to another, uh, you're going to have some success. So when you're planting pollenizer trees, put them in, make, make use of that idea of a beeline uh, uh, of, of within a distance where they can, you can see each other from that tree, where one tree is in view of another tree. So the other thing that you can do uh, during times when it needs pollen, which in Jujubi's case is uh, through most of the year, put, a, put some water, some clean water, a bird bath, or something that attracts bees to that area and they can haul water back to their hive or put something in there that's going to produce flowers during that time and attract bees into that area so they can discover it. Uh, part of it is discovery. Once the bees discover it and know it's there, you then there'll be no problem at all. But if you put in a pollinizer tree and there's no pollinators around, there's no bees or to you're just wasting your time. So attract some bees into the area. They like water during the heat of the summer. They like plants that are flowering. Anything to pull them into that area so they'll start to work that jujube, uh, then they'll, they'll help you out quite a bit. So just remember, uh, bee lines, uh, flowering herbs, anything that will attract those bees, water, bird baths. Keep that bird bath water clean. That's very important. If you're going to put water, it's got to be clean water. Don't let it get stagnant or you're going to kill the bees. Well, I, I'm starting to hear that music. And I hope it's been eventful for you today. Thanks for joining me on today's Desert Horticulture.